This is Paul Nobles from eatperform.com and I am with my business partner and uh, co-host, Brad Dieter. Brad, do you want to say hi to everyone? Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, this is going to be a fun episode. I'm excited to record this one. Yeah, the uh, for, for people that don't know, Brad Dieter is actually spelled dieter. <laughs> a lot of people get bugged out by that, especially when they um, kind of know the premise of Eat Reform and that you're, um, you know, you're you're really supposed to be not dieting the good majority of your life, and then only dieting occasionally. And then we walk you through what that looks like and how to do that in the best way possible, right? So uh, I, I just want to start with like something <laughs> right off the bat. So. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm upstairs right now, and so my basement is freezing cold. I live in Minnesota, for those that don't know, and uh, it's minus 7 today. My dog got clippered, which is like the worst time of year for this to happen to her because her hair is really short, and it's sort of funny because when she knows that she's going to go outside for a – I don't even want to say the word because she will lose her mind – but a W-A-L-K. Um, she's actually right behind me. And maybe I'll pick her up at some point to show you guys how much of a shaved rat she is. But she will start to pre-shake just at the idea of going outside. So, so it feels that's, that's like me in the morning when I have to go get in my cold car to go to the gym at 4 a.m. I'm like, man, I just like... I'm laying in my bed and I just think about how awful it's going to be. But I, I put her, you know, I put her on uh, this little landing just so we can, um, just so I can get her ready to go. And, and she's pre-shaking and she's giving me this look like, hey man, I thought we agreed that I was just going to poop in the house today. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, all right. So let's get let's get talking about 30-day challenges because obviously a lot of people are going to be wrapping up 30-day challenges or have already wrapped up 30-day challenges. I would think that most people have not wrapped them up. Currently, usually they start around January 15th or whatever. This is about the time where people are adapting to the stimulus and mm -hmm. right around... 10 to 15 days is when a lot of them quit their 30-day challenges or they, they kind of suck it up doing it wrong. And so we're going to walk through a little bit of, of what is happening, why it's happening, and what to do about it, right? Because, you know, we, we jokingly referred to 30-day challenges and then the 31st-day challenges, the beer and cheesecake challenge. And then the very next day is the... <laughs> The screw everything challenge, <laughs> right? And then day thirty three is the uh, the joy need to perform piece. That's the way I view it. <laughs> yes, that is, that is the way because what it so so basically what ends up happening, right? So so you are more um, insulin sensitive at times of you know great deprivation, right? And so when you look at the big secret to you know. Uh, paleo challenges or whole food challenges or real food challenges or whatever they're calling themselves these days, um, the, the secret is really low calories, right? So, you know, what ends up happening is we'll have some people that, that come in and they're doing an intuitive eating. I did see like an advertisement for an intuitive eating coach 
and I thought that that was the most hilarious thing I'd ever seen. Um, maybe that's common, but but I don't know, you know, how much success you will you will have going that yeah. way. You know, and I don't really even know what that means. Like, yes, if you're trying to help somebody get to where they want to go, and you just say, "Go do your own thing," like, well, I'm I'm trying to figure out where the like active coaching is going on. Yeah, because you do need a little specifics. I will say that at one point, you know, we did kind of allow people to not track their food. And almost always the people that track their food from the people that didn't track their food had much more success because you could, you know, pick apart the things that they were doing right and the things that they were doing wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So when you – so let's let's assume – Right. So, so the, the best predictor of dieting success is not dieting. Right. So the time that you aren't dieting, if you are eating Oreos and, and drinking Mountain Dews and, and going through fast food drive throughs every single day, you're going to have a lot more success than the person that's not doing that. Right. So if, if you're going into your, you know, um, 30-day challenge where you, over the holidays, had a couple days where you were eating a little bit outside of the box, but you spent the other six days paying for that day, you didn't really move your metabolism in a, in a favorable way, right? And so what ends up happening is, is that a lot of those folks start to try and chicken and kale it up, and then they lose a pound or two, maybe three, right? And then they stall. And the reason why they stalled is because they weren't actually overeating all that much in the first place, and that one day actually didn't make that big of a difference. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on that idea, Brad? Yeah, I mean, you know, probably the best way to go forward from that point is when we think about, you know, dieting, whether it's, you know, you start January 1, you you use some sort of 30 day challenge to kick it off is the results you're going to have are largely dependent on where you're coming from and what you've done before. Right. It's the same thing as, you know, whether it's like your career or training or like your, like your financial life, like all these decisions that you make to try to go to the next step of whatever you're doing is largely dependent on where you're starting from. And I think a lot of people don't understand that that piece is a huge piece of what you should be doing and the kind of results you're going to be getting from doing what you're doing. Yeah, because when you look at most diets, right, and and you look at something like a 30-day challenge, that is pretty restrictive, right? Um, because, you know, there's all these foods that you can't eat. There's all, you know, when you look down the list, you go, okay, what's the food with calories? Not that one. Not that one. Oh, wait a second. None of these foods really have a whole lot of calories, right? And so what ends up, you know, when you look at it and you start to count it. Now, you could count it, by the way. That is something that I think a lot of people, if they were a little bit more aware of that piece, they would go, okay, I'm being a little too extreme. I'll give you an example, and I've used this example before, but there was a there was a guy um, – that was working out at a gym that I knew. And I started to get really concerned for him because, um, you know, over the course of this challenge, which they, you know, they, they decided that their 30 day challenge wasn't gangster enough. Right. So so they, they made it more gangster. So they had a 60 day challenge 
and you could just see this guy like wasting away and and his skin was starting to sag and and, and I was like hey you know are, are you okay man you know um and uh he I was actually in charge of helping these guys get body fat tested afterwards. You know, I had no connection to the challenge. I would not have set up a challenge that way. Um, but I did say, okay, you know, I'll help you guys because this was what I was doing at that point. And this guy lost 15 pounds. And in the process of the 15 pounds, he lost 16 pounds of muscle. And he quit the gym the very next day. Right. Because, because the gym was telling him this is what you need to do to have success. And basically for two months straight, he didn't sleep. He didn't eat. Right. He was he was running into manly issues is probably the nicest way to say that. Right. And it was, you know, it was all because, you know, the 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 approach was just too restrictive. You know, Amanda mentioned, and I, I think that this is actually kind of, you know, an interesting point. When some people intuitively eat, they intuitively overeat. I would say most people are not like that, right? Most people, when they, especially, so so there's there's a couple of part, parts to that. So let's say that you're not checking the scale, right? Because that's one of the things that a lot of those places tell you to do is don't check the scale. Um, and part of the reason why they don't want you to check the scale is because when you're done doing it and you've only lost three pounds, <laughs> you know, you, you there might be homicide type of issues. <laughs> you know, so if you knew that you weren't making any success, but you were really, you know, sucking at everything. But what Amanda was saying is that when, you know, when she doesn't track, she might overeat. That's easier to do when you aren't weighing yourself, right? So a lot of people say, well, you know, I have a bad relationship with the scale. More more often than not, that's the expectation of what you want the, the scale to say, right? Mm -hmm. And if you understand that the scale sometimes needs to go up and sometimes needs to go down, that allows for a better perspective, right? So do you want to jump in on that note? Yeah, so... I think I've got a few things that kind of follow on from that. You know, one is kind of pulling back to the, you know, basically the comment of, you know, whole 30, 30 day challenge, whatever it is, you know, now what is there's a lot of stuff that's involved in that piece. And one of the things that we've seen over the last, you know, several years um, that kind of goes against what a lot of those things teach is this idea that, the scale always has to be going down every single day, right? A lot of people end up trying to chase this, like today I'm 150, tomorrow I need to be 148 or 149.5. And then the next day I've got to be another half a pound. And they're always trying to chase, you know, everything's got to be less, less, less the next day because I only have this short amount of time and I'm trying to get as much out of it as I can. That's one of the pieces. Um, and then the other piece is when you start to wrap into that, framework um you know or that mindset is it starts to kind of pull away a lot of the things you need to have kind of long-term sustained success and one of the big things is patience right if you're kind of in this short chunks of 30-day challenges at a time or whatever they are is you're focused on getting the most progress in the shortest amount of time 
And that actually ends up setting you way back because now you have to relearn the right processes to get the right way and make progress in the right manner for a long period of time. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't really understand that they're kind of psychologically doing when they go through these short spurts like this. Yeah, because it's nice to think, okay, well, I'll just not eat for a day or I'll you know, skip meals for most of the day and then only eat one meal a day or, or just eat really restrictive calories and that's going to fix all my problems. But what it actually ends up being is a detour. So there was a question that was asked, you know, what is our framework and how does that work? So basically, if you come in to eat to perform, you, you get a coach assigned to you and that coach, you know, walks you into the process. And the process is not simplistic. You know, um, if you were overeating, you have kind of this baseline plan. And let's say that as an example, you chose fat loss. So when you come in and you start your fat loss cycle, assuming that you, you know, are kind of used to tracking your food and you can follow the plan relatively quickly, the first phase is 24 days, right? Then what we do is a, a small reverse, which is 16 days. And actually the last couple podcasts, we, we talked about this. So if, if that's something that you want to follow up on, you can you can check up on any of the podcasts. Um, the last one I think we we called the your e to perform plan. Then the the following twenty four days is sort of interesting because what happens for a lot of people in the first twenty four days is they think that they're ready for fat loss, but they're kind of not right because they might have been overeating. And then they, they have a bachelorette party and then, you know, they have a couple other things and, and then they're on vacation, which we're actually going to talk about it here in a little bit. Um, and then the first 24 days, they only lose a couple, couple pounds. And then they're, they're so frustrated. I expected so much more out of this fat loss phase. It's like the second phase is almost always better than the first. Because what happens is, is the first 24 days, you're just sort of getting the feel for how you need to pull things down, right? And so a lot of times what people see, you know, let's say that, you know, someone did have their calories up a little bit higher. Because that, that's sort of the basis for each form, right? Where, where we're actually working with actual numbers rather than guessing what your experience is. So, you know, when we pull someone down... We can actually say to them, hey, your first goal is realistically five pounds down from now, rather than saying, hey, here's 20 pounds. Good luck, kid. Right. So so we can actually give you a real strong framework for what each phase looks like. So what ends up happening is, is let's say that you're 18 days in and you lose five pounds and you still have six more or two more stages within the first phase, we will then make the, the goal a little bit more aggressive, and that's very common, right? So there are a lot of people that will come in first phase and just start nailing it right out the gate. Then the second phase is a little bit of a mini reverse. This is actually part of the, the thing we were talking about, that, that if 30-day challenges were doing it right, this is what they would do. So after the 24th day, we start to mini reverse you, and this allows you to kind of reset 
And there's a lot of value to it. Not only is it psychological value that you get to, get to actually build a little bit more will, let's all be real. You know, when we're used to eating a certain way and then we take some of that food away, then that gets to be a little uncomfortable. So as we slowly start to move food back, that then allows for more runway. And then during the second phase, we pull down things the most aggressively. Now, what's interesting about it is we give you the option as the client whether or not you want to continue on with fat loss or if you want to just continue building on that runway. And you would actually be surprised at how many people pick to just continue on with the runway, right? And to me, that is a very viable option. I think the other thing that we have as an advantage is that because the cycles are 24 days, 16 days, 24 days, you know, it's very easy to say to someone, I know it's frustrating and I know that, you know, you would like to be eating, but let's stick this out. Let's really work on steps. Let's work on sodium and then we can kind of move from there. But I've been doing second phase. We have a lot of people that are actually starting the second phase because they started, you know, kind of mid-December or late December and almost all of those programs uh, are, are just killing it, right? Because, you know, by that time, you've got everything nailed down. You really understand the process and you know why things are working or not, right? Um, any, any thoughts on that piece, Brad? Because I think that there is a strong correlation between how to do 30-day challenges correctly, right? But... Let's be honest, if you're intuitively eating chicken and kale all the time, you know, here's the big secret to 30-day challenges. They still want you to eat like that after the 30 days, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if your idea of a awesome life is chicken and kale forever, you know, then, you know, that's, that's kind of the part that really doesn't get mentioned all that much, Right. I mean, you'll see that offered up in the back of the book, but it's not really talked about all that much. You know, I mean, I mean the idea the that you can just eat chicken and kale, end up eating a thousand calories and then just go back to eating normal and then you end up perfect. I mean, I think the, the memo's out on that one, right? It doesn't work that way. Yeah. I mean, the real question is, and you and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week is it's like, okay, 30 day challenge. Now what? Right. Unless you have a plan to get you back to a normal life and maintaining the results you had, you're just jumping on and off the hamster wheel all the time. Right. Right. And what ends up happening is now you've basically just blown through all these cycles. And each time you start to do it, it gets less and less and less effective. Um, and one of the things that I think people don't really realize is, and this is a really, really key piece for a lot of people, is your body is basically a adaptive you know, organism, right? So whatever you do, your body is going to adapt to. And so the, the problem is when you start these challenges and your body adapts, and then at the end it's used to that, and then you just go off the plan, or you have to stick to that the whole time because you don't have any other tools to use. Um, and so one of the things that we've been very, very careful with and very, you know, systematic and thoughtful is, is when we have people who go through these, these fat loss cycles, you know, I mean, I spent all morning reviewing all these people who are kind of in the first phase of what they're doing, you know, and a lot of them transitioning them to this, this second phase is 
how you take somebody and put them through, you know, a fat loss cycle and then the sustainability piece is actually probably the more critical piece to the equation, right? At any point, you can just pull all your calories down. But the question is, how are you doing that? And then how are you transitioning somebody off of that? Because that's what we, you know, in terms of like all the science and the medical literature is we know how to solve one problem, but we have no solutions for the other problem. And that's the big piece that we've kind of pinned down and really solved the big problem with. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the commenters are, are mentioning that, you know, a lot of it is not about how much weight you lose. It's about how your clothes fit and things of that nature. And I, I, I think that there's a certain amount of that, that that's true. But the problem with what Brad is saying and, and kind of juxtaposing it against what this person is saying is that let's say that you're 240 pounds as a female, right? And you just go 30 day challenge as low as you can eat and you lose 15 pounds in that process. Is that person trying to get to 225, right? Because once they're eating 800,000 calories, what do you think's going to happen? You know, ultimately they are going to eat normal at some point and then they're going to check the scale, right? Even though all these places say don't check the scale, you know, scientifically it's fairly well known that people that check the scale actually control their weight much better than people that don't. Most people that don't check their scale regularly, you know, don't want to know, right? And they don't want to know because they're either being irresponsible or they're under eating all the time and they don't really know what to do. They don't feel like they have control. I think that's one of the things that is nice about what, what we do and how we do it is because it does give you control. Like you can look at it and go, okay, well, I'm day 16, you know, I'm on stage four, the first stage of fat loss, right? I'm down four pounds, you know, my sodium's not particularly great. I haven't been able to get steps. I wonder what it would be like if I started to up that a little bit. And then there's this this other process. I mean, we, we've got people that have lost over 100 pounds doing Eat to Perform. But when you look at how they do it, they don't do it the way that that most other people will talk about. Like like one of the things that, that one of the commenters mentioned, you know, is – they didn't lose a lot of weight. More often than not, whatever system you do, however you do it, there's going to be a water weight loss that ends up happening no matter what, right? So if let's say that you're eating 3,000 calories as a female and, and you go down to 2,200 calories, which doesn't seem that restrictive, right? You were still going to go through a certain amount of water in that process because you're at an 800 calorie deficit, right? And so when we talk about, and then, you know, when you think about, well, do I feel like actually working out, you know, when I'm had a 2200 at 2200 calories? Sure you do, right? So now all of a sudden you, you have two things going for you rather than just one thing that your body's going to adapt to very quickly and then you have no options. You want to talk a little bit about that, Brad? Yeah. So one of the big things that's really, really key, and 
you know, we talk about this a lot and I'll, I'll kind of start by just using the examples of the people who've been on need to perform who've lost, you know, a hundred plus pounds is, you know, when we look at their graph, they're basically the opposite of places like, or shows like uh, biggest loser or a lot of these extreme transformations, you know, cause basically if we take their weight loss and we graph it against their calories, what the normal, you know, typical projection is we just, every time they lose weight, we just keep lowering calories and keep lowering calories and keep lowering calories um, until, you know, they get to whatever weight the goal they want to be. And then we try to figure out from there, how do we give them a sustainable life? And when you look at the people on our plans um, and what they've actually been able to do by basically using our system, applying it to their life, is their calories actually going up? For most of these people who've lost this amount of weight is their calories are actually slowly increasing over time. You know, one of the best examples um, is one of our eat performers. He's probably lost. I think he's closing in on 100 or 110. And his calories went from like 2,000 a day. And now he's closing in on 4,000 a day. And he's just, his whole life has changed. He's a lot more active. He's doing a lot more things. But the other piece is, you know, at the end of this journey, he now has a lot of options and tools that he can then use if his life changes and he has to do something else. And one of right? those, so he hasn't he hasn't backed himself into this corner where now he's got to try to solve another huge problem. And one of those tools is an active calorie point, right? Yeah. And so he he knows. So like there's 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 two things that that are are being said in the comments that that are sort of interesting. One, you know, there's someone that says you know not checking the scale that it's okay to check the scale. Um, but in a deficit that you may have gained muscle, not in general, in general, if you're in a deficit, you're not gaining muscle. Right. And so I understand what the person is thinking and why that, you know, when they have, they're in this like dry state, maybe they can see more of the muscle that they already have. But in terms of building muscle, you know, if you're under eating, that's going to be very difficult to do. The other person is exactly what you described, right? He's kind of confused, doesn't really understand, you know, whether he wants to be in fat loss or in muscle gain. The nice thing about Eat to Perform is you're, you're always in fat loss because you're either acutely, you know, um, going into a deficit or you are building muscle and working up your runway so then you can either go to a deficit or build muscle more acutely at that point, right? So you always know where you are, right? That's what I think is going to be – I think when we look back five years from now because when you look at you know, how the plan works, where you are in the plan, and how you can change that, that's been a big adjustment since – you know five years ago, right? Like we, we had this idea and we knew that, that having more food was going to be more favorable, but really kind of improving on that idea and making that process better is, is awesome. But, but the next phase of course is modeling, right? Mm -hmm. And how can we go, okay, we have 10,000 people that are actively working in the database when we do this, what happens? And then how can we model that as we change somebody else's plan? So that's pretty exciting. We already do that a little bit by when um, when we change somebody's plan, we give them an expectation 
of what their first goal should be. That way they end up getting, um, they go into it with the mindset of, with, with the correct mindset so they don't get frustrated, right? So, so if calories aren't super duper high, but they just want to kind of get some mental real estate, you know, we, we make sure that they know that, hey, look, you can't really expect a whole lot here. I, I'm thinking of one of my clients actually that, uh, you know, we were working with and through fat loss, she'd actually done well, but she'd hoped to do a little bit better. And I said, well, you know, frankly, your calories aren't that low. You know, I said, we could do this to see how things would go. And in that process, she did go down another four pounds. And then now, you know, we're putting her in the adaptive prevention stage. And then she will have the chance to go down yet again, right? So what you don't do is you don't go, I want to lose 30 pounds. Boom, lose 30 pounds. With Eat to Perform, you're really going to do it in stages, right? You're going to lose 10 pounds. It's re What's really funny about the adaptive prevention stage, which is kind of a mini reverse, is people tend to lose weight in that stage too, right? They mm -hmm. tend, it's not a lot, but it usually ends up being anywhere from two to five pounds over that 16-day period. And then as their calories are going up, then we can bring the calories back down to the most aggressive. There's no secret about all of this, right? You Calories do matter in this instance. And I know that there's a lot out there that sort of noise um, that really talks that, you know, calories don't matter and calories aren't a calorie. And look, from a scientific standpoint, of course, all calories have different, you know, makeup. But when you look at what the general idea of knowns are, right? You want to eat mostly whole foods the good majority of the time. I mean, I, I'm thinking of one person that, that I was talking to this week who was actually very um, reticent to start a fat loss stage. And she's actually enjoying it quite a bit because the thing that's nice about fat loss is you start to realize that, you know, a lot of the people that, um, you know, their calories are starting to get high. Maybe they fall into some habits that it's nice to kind of re, re catch up on. Right. <laughs> and so, so that, you know, we've covered it in, in a, a million different ways, typical eat form Paul style, right. Where we're, we're, <laughs> we're, sh you know, shock, uh, what is, what is it? Machine gunning everything. But in general, you know, this idea that you could just under eat and then acutely get to where you are and then be perfect and never have to worry about anything ever again. That's really not how it works. Right. And, and actually that's how most people end up obese, you know, because they get very frustrated at the things that they're choosing. And if they had a coach to bring them along, they would have a much better result. So that's a little bit of the answer to Drew's question earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably one other point just to bring up is, you know, as we're developing and building out all these systems that we're kind of, you know, testing and retesting and testing and retesting and implementing is, and I think what a lot of people probably from the outside don't realize is the level of attention that people get from us is, is pretty high and pretty interesting, right? So a great example is this morning, um, you know, Paul had seen a file that I reviewed yesterday and, you know, he brought it to me and we had a discussion about, you know, 
all the different options that this person we could have given them, you know, and the different macro breakdowns and the different goals and where they were, you know, and we spent a lot of time working through this singular person's, you know, scenario. And based on all of our past experiences, you know, what we know works, what we know doesn't work to apply all these things we've learned to each individual person. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of the power in what we do lies. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're kind of just doing the whole 30 thing and somebody just gives you a list of foods, I mean, that's, that's a great tool to kind of help you learn about, you know, different properties of foods, but it doesn't really give you any direction of what do you do now? Um, yeah. That's where the linchpin really is for 98% of people. And I think a lot of people that are attracted to that, you know, often will end up with a disordered relationship with food. And if you kind of viewed lists of food, I mean, we have lists of food. You know, if you start Eat to Perform and you want to talk to a coach, they're going to give you a list of food. But the list of foods are, uh, you know, a mostly do, not a don't list, right? And that's that's what I think is is sort of the difference. Um, so I'm going to end on this one note because um, Katie, who's been kind of talking within the, the comments, um, so she said something about metabolism. The, the quickest way to get your metabolism boosted is eating food, right? You don't, you're not going to boost your metabolism under eating. That's actually how most people destroy their metabolism, right? So, you know, if you were to design it, right, and, and, and you were 16 years old and you said, how can I be the best version of myself for the rest of my life? And you were really smart and you knew all the things. What you would do is you would diet almost never, right? And what you would do is you would use your physical things that you do in life, whether it be walking or weightlifting or whatever, and and that would all be to improve who, who you are as a human being. And I get it, you know, I mean, what we're selling is like, wait, you seem to be saying to me that, you know, if I can take a really good approach and get coached into the right direction that I can have a normal life and a productive human being. I might not reach that ultimate level of perfection ever, right? Um, but a lot of people do. And I would say that a lot of people find it much easier to get to that point with food, right? And this thought process of food is the problem. Food is the answer, right? It's just how are you planning it? And do you have someone to guide you? You know, I mean, need to form, you know, more often than not, if you look at coaching services similar to ours, which I don't think are even as good as ours, um, they're very expensive. You know, to work one-on-one -on -one with a coach would be something like $500. You know, you don't have to spend that kind of money to be, to work with, you know, our set of coaches. And the other crazy thing is, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, other places where you go and you get very expensive niche coaching, they don't have the same data or tools we do. Yeah. That's the, that's the crazy part. Like how many, you know, unless you're filling out a Google spreadsheet that you're, you know, manually typing in every day, you know, we have, I mean, each person has their own profile. All of their data is streamed, you know, from whatever health and fitness trackers they have. They've got a journal the full like history of the client and coach notes are there. So we can always go in and that's pretty wild if you think about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I joke that any monkey can like pull people's calories down. 
right? There's not anything particularly hard about that, right? So, you know, when you look at what we do and how we do it, it's so much more involved. And, you know, right now we're in the process of hiring you know, more people for our tech team. Uh, our app, our new app is coming out. So it's going to be allowing us a much better framework for how to deal with this. And it's just so funny when I think of, you know, people who think that they're competitors to us, like it, it kind of offends me because I, I, I don't, I don't think that the approach is near as evolved. Right. And, and, and I do feel like if you're signing up with somebody that is, you know, just really teaching you to to eat eat less constantly that those people are doing more harm than good right i've always said that you know i i've toned it down a little bit but i used to be really you know I, it harmed me for many years and um once once i viewed food as you know part of the solution it really made a big difference in my life, and I know it'll make a big difference in, in a lot of a lot of people's lives. So um, I'm not gonna spend a, a ton of time on this, just because this has already gotten a little bit long, and we we got going a little bit late. But um, there's something that I really wanted to talk about with bikini season, right? Because what ends up happening is you know, around April and May, a lot of people want to start losing weight because they start to realize that they're going to be at the water park with their kids and, and they're going to be in a bathing suit or they're going to be going on vacation. And this also applies to vacation. The one thing that we absolutely know, without a shadow of a doubt, don't do a fat loss cycle before vacation or before bikini season. And here is why. Same thing that we just talked about with the 30-day challenges. When you are eating super low calories, you are more prone to store in that state, especially if you start to eat like a normal human being, right? And so what you really want to do is you want to set that fat loss cycle up much sooner than May, like really you want to be doing it right about now and say, okay, realistically for bikini season, I want to lose 15 pounds. And then once you know what your calories are, or you have kind of a baseline, then you can sort of work towards that goal. So let me give you an example. So let's say that you were eating 3,500 calories as a female and you're 175 pound and 5'9". And you're, so you're already pretty lean. You already work out. But you go, you know, I, I know that I like to look, you know, that, that I would like to be 160 to look the way that I want to look. That, to me, is somewhat subjective. But at the end of the day, when you're looking at fat loss, there is often weight loss involved, Right. So it's very likely in a scenario where someone's eating 3,500 calories that we can take them from 175 to 160 in one shot, right? So we take them 24 days. First, you know, 24 days, they lose seven pounds. In the adaptation prevention phase, they lose two more, right? And then they lose six in the second stage, and boom, they're down 15 pounds, 
right? So now from March to May, we just stabilize them and they're able to stay there or actually go a little bit lower in that process and, and that's fine. So the other scenario, and then I'm going to let Brad chime in because, you know, I never let Brad talk. But the other scenario <laughs> is that there's a lot of people that are coming to us under eating. And so let's say that their baseline is actually more like 2,100 calories. In that scenario, you would really want to sort of temper that person's, you know, expectations. And truthfully... I think that there's a number of ways to do it, but I would probably break it up in more of a five-five-five scenario, where you know you would really want the person to look at their overall journey in three smaller cycles. If assuming that, of course, that they don't want to get their calories up really super high, right? So if you don't want to get your calories super high you're going to have to break it up into smaller increments and you would definitely have to start today, right? Because what's going to happen to you, and this is the same thing with vacation. When somebody comes to me and says, hey, I've got 15 pounds, I want to lose on vacation, my vacation's a month and a half, Th that, that is a really bad idea on a bunch of levels. One, the first day you get on vacation and you start margarita and tacoing, you just blew everything, right? You really want to have kind of this, this area of abundance where your body is actually much more flexible than that, right? So what ends up happening with, with chronic dieting is, one, you're going to be more prone to store in that scenario, but also you're not going to be doing, you're not going to be super active. You know, and so when we take someone and we start them right now thinking about, you know, what bikini season is going to look like in May or June, their calories are going to be at 2,300, 2,400. They're going to have a lot of energy for the gym, and then they will have reached their goal. Rather than this pull off the Band-Aid approach that every person is doing, and, and I say bikini here, but guys do it too, right? We want to look good during the summer season as well, right? The the best thing though, like I know for me that, you know, my calories are right around 3,500 to 4,000 depending on, on kind of the day, but the calorie average is, is about 3,600, 3,700. That puts me in a great spot to go down without being super restrictive and reach the goals that that I want to reach. Now, I'm not going to be trying to get to 4% body fat, right? Um, I'm just going to try and get to, you know, a place where, you know, during the winter, I'm going to intentionally have my weight go up a little bit because I want to build more muscle in that instance, right? And that's the same for females. I don't care if you want to call it toning or what you want to call it, you know, it's still building muscle. And as long as you're not chronically under eating all the time, it puts you in a much better position to not only reach your goals, but to reach your goals and be able to stay there forever. Right? Brad, I've covered <laughs> a lot of a lot of area there. But I, I thought it'd be interesting for people to think about if I was eating excessively or if I was actually eating maybe maybe kind of low. What would be the scenario? So 
I know it's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I think I don't really have a whole lot more to add on that topic. But, you know, one of the, I think probably the one thing I will say is a lot of times people put unrealistic goals out there and that ends up hurting the realistic goals. Um, and I think that's a really important thing for people to realize and understand. And, you know, for some of us, it's, you know, trying to get the, the perfect beach body for vacation, you know, for other of us, it's, you know, I want to reach the CrossFit games or, you know, things that are just for most of us outside of what's realistic in a, a normal time frame. a lot of times actually put your realistic goals way outside of attainability because of the things you tried to do to get there. You know, it's, I mean, you can make so many analogies to it, but it's kind of like, you know, training. Like if you want, if you said, okay, you know, my back squats a hundred pounds and I want to get it to 400 pounds. So I'm going to squat as heavy as I can twice a day, you know, every day to try to get there. And then you end up six weeks in, you know, having two stress fractures in your back, then you're never going to get there. Right. Because now you've got to spend six years trying to recover and do all that kind of stuff. So a lot of times, you know, when we, t- when it's like this time of year and people are already thinking about, you know, beach body season is trying to realize how you play this game actually matters for the long term. Yeah, it's just a matter of like, you know, planning. But there is another piece that I think is really important, and it's the mental piece of how you feel about yourself, right? And yeah. so if you're chronically under eating, you know, I mean, once again, we can unpack the science and, and, and get all that kind of thing, but, but we all sort of know that we get a little hangry when we don't eat much, right? And that will often reflect negatively in our relationship with the mirror as well, right? But the opposite is also true. So when you are lifting weights, so I'm going to give you a great example. We have, we have a client, and I, I wish that I'm not, going to, I'm not going to say her specific name, but I think most people know what I'm talking about, but it really could fit hundreds of people that are members of Eat to Perform. But the person that I'm thinking about is a weightlifter. She's a competitive weightlifter. And um, I, I would think that, you know, from her standpoint, she would say that, you know, she does have fat to use. But it's not like an obsessive thing with her, right? So when you ask her what's more important to you, living a full, healthy life where you're active, and if if you really want to get me going, if you really want to get, you know, see how I feel about something, talk to me about people that are bigger that are chronically under eating. Because you will, I think there's a lot of people that have opinions about people that don't actually understand physiology and don't really understand how working with those types of populations actually works, right? And so people will be overly judgmental. I mean, one of the things that just drives me crazy is when, you know, trainers, male or female, talk about the physique of their clients negatively to their clients and make judgments based on things that they don't know. 
right? One common mm-hmm. thing that they that you will often hear is that, you know, well, I'm sure you're underreporting your food, right? Or yeah. you know, I'm sure you're eating food. You don't always eat like that. Let me just tell you, they do. Right, there are a lot of people that are 260 pound females that are five three that are eating 800 calories, and their body has figured that out, right? And so their body is adapted to that balance, and that is common. And so the only way to really work from that, right? That was actually the example that Brad gave me earlier. Is similar? Isn't that funny? That when you think of the client, I'm pretty sure we're thinking of the same person in terms of the like the good example. The good example that I'm talking about that I think is a role model for the world, right? Actually weighs more than the person that that we were consulting on earlier today, right? Mm-hmm. And the the problem that the, the person had at that time was that she started fat loss with her calories really not all that high. And so mm-hmm. so she's kind of, you know, painted herself into a little bit of a low calorie corner. And so we talked to her about how to get out of that low calorie corner and, you know, allow doing to be the big thing. Because what ends up happening is you often end up, you know, overly cardio, you're worn out, you know, thyroid is bad. There's just all these negative consequences. But if you have a fair amount of fat to use, kind of, you know, similar to what, what, um, I can't remember the last name was Callahan, but he was talking about this a little bit earlier in the comments. You know, you can affect your health positively tomorrow by going for a walk around the block, right? And if that walk around the block turns into you lifting weights or crossfitting or do tough mutters, those things were all something that were challenges that eventually, when I lost 100 pounds, those became bigger challenges for me. But now that I'm almost 50, my wife keeps teasing me about it. She's like, I can't believe you're almost 50. Now that I'm almost 50, I, I just, I want to go to the gym. I want to work out. I want to do things that I like. And I'm comfortable in my own skin. You know, I don't need to be 4% body fat constantly to be comfortable in my own skin. And I'm just going to tell you that if you're a female, 245 pounds and 5'3", and you're comfortable in your own skin, and you do CrossFit, right, and you eat out on occasion, and you have wine with your husband on date night, doesn't make you a bad person. In fact, it makes you a person, right? And I think a lot of the advice that people are giving people is just misguided and wrong, and it's based on this constant deficit all the time. And if you think about why that narrative is out there, it's because it's the easiest possible thing to sell to you, right? The easiest possible thing to sell to you if you don't feel great about yourself nonstop is this would make you feel great, but it doesn't. It ends up just making you feel less, it makes you feel guilty, and it makes you feel wrong. What we're not we're not saying that you might not need to eat a little bit a little bit less on occasion. But what we are saying is that if you have doing as the main piece, 
it will allow you to get to where you want to go much easier than if you just view it from the standpoint of you are always inferior, you're always less, and then you're open to messages from people that should not be talking to you negatively, right? If somebody were to say to me, you know, I, I don't like the way that you groom your dog, right? Well, that's awesome. I, I appreciate that. You know, like what are your what are the scientific reasoning behind your opinion on the way that I groom my dog? Right. I'll hear that. But there's just too many people that are talking to other people just negative to be negative. And to me, if you keep that in your life, that's a you problem. Right. In my in my world, I would not allow those people in my life. And so let, let's further expound upon that. You are listening to me right now. You know that I'm a positive influence. You know that I'm going to be bringing things to you that are going to be adding some things to your life. If you choose that, that would be awesome for you. And I think that you'll have a great experience doing that. But at the same time, you're constantly being bombarded by less is more type narratives that you're overeating, that you don't work out as much, that you, you know, all these negative things. Which side are you buying? Which one? Right? Because you can't have both in your life. You know, you can't allow that negativity to, to you know, really sink in because that once again, is who you are, right? If you are a person seeking positivity in your life, you, that really shows up in all areas of your life. What do you think about that, Brad? I don't really have a response for that. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just, when you think about the approach that every I don't want to say every, but 99% of the narrative out there is essentially some version of here's everything you're doing wrong. You know, you're the problem. Do less of these things. And that's going to make you a better person. And that's not really the answer, right? And when we kind of get a little metaphysical on the answer we provide is it's more like, you know, you're already a human. You're already enough. We're going to make your life better. And in that process of uncovering a lot of the things that you're capable of, that's where you're going to get the actual end result you want. And that's really the only real path to finding, you know, the Holy grail at, at the end of the journey, because the problem is, and you see this in almost everybody's big transformation story is if you're always chasing a, I can't do this, this is restrictive. This is how I'm going to get to being happy. You never actually get there, right? Because you're basically just pulling away all these things all the time. And anytime you start to do something that's, you know, for yourself, it adds a negative narrative. And that's how you kind of set up that, that scenario of, you know, you're always trying to do the next diet. You're always trying to do a little, be a little bit less in certain areas because you think those are your problems. And that's really not the problem for well, and, virtually everybody. And to say it a different way, the holy grail is to love yourself now, right? Mm -hmm. That's the real secret. If you love yourself now, you make the more correct decisions, right? You know, the one thing that, that I've heard said by many people is you can't hate yourself lean. 
you know, in comments, Chris was talking about we were the only program that ever upped his calories, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about that, that that is just it's, – it's sad from the perspective that it's well known that you can't just undereat like that, right? But there's just this narrative, and once again, I mean, if you buy into it, you know, you're falling prey to – what they need you to fall prey to so they can keep selling you their bad system. In the book, um, Secrets from the Dieting Lab, Tracy Mann talked about this all the time, that the, you know, the business model of dieting is you failing at dieting, right? And so, you know, what ends up happening is, is that, that you undereat drastically because this program told you to, and then naturally you're going to want to eat like a normal human being at some point. And so you start doing that, and then for two to three months, you know, you, your weight starts to gradually go back up because of all the things that we've been talking about on this podcast that I won't reiterate, right? But then you then snuggle back up to, I need to eat less again, right? And the problem is, is that you never got to that point where you know how to eat normal. The secret is how to eat normal. The secret is... How, what is your, what's your baseline calorie point high, right? Not what your baseline calorie point is low. Like I said, any, any moron with a calculator can do that. But if your calories are at 800 calories, what are you going to do? Go to 600 calories and not eat for a day? These are all the things that, that everybody's going to these more extreme options and they're not helping, there's more obesity. There's more of, you know, the, the issues that come along. So, okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, one of the, the things that we're doing because we do actually have uh, one-on-one coaching with senior coaches where you can work with Brad, you can work with myself. And, uh, you know, I, I normally do some case studies. And so I wanted to do a case study of someone who's actually failing. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how failing correctly is actually a game changer and and what that looks like. So this person uh, joined coaching. She is my personal client and her weight is actually up since we first started. So you go, well, that sure makes you a really bad coach. Um, it really doesn't make me a bad coach. It makes me a phenomenal coach because when we look at what this client needed, right, in I would say the last six months, not only has her whole family gotten sick, not only has there been deaths in the family, not only has there been work changes, right? I've never seen anyone go through the amount of calamity that this person has consistently gone through in the last six months, right? In that scenario, a lot of people would give up, they would quit, and they would just gain a bunch of weight. I don't know the exact numbers, but I think she's up maybe five to eight pounds in that process. But in that process, I actually have her calories relatively high and 
you know, she knows that she's not ready for a fat loss cycle right now. And of course I have to talk to her. Of course it's not comfortable being five to eight pounds higher than you would like to be. But the discussions that I have with her is really looking for a spot that is going to be where she's in a groove and she can actually make the jump and see some real success. That's what a real coach does, right? So let's look at the opposite. Let's say that I was one of these give you as little food as possible people, right? And then her mom died, her dog died, lost her job, all these negative things started coming in. And then I really started focusing on adherence to the program and her missing days and, and things of this nature. Am I really helping that person, right? And all I would really be doing is backing her into a corner where I would not be an advocate for that person. And then they would fail because we're going to naturally be conflicting at that point, right? You can't be an advocate for that person and then also tell them to eat 800 calories, right? Because in that scenario, it just might not be a good fit. And so when I think about what our role is as coaches, it's so little about food, right? I mean, it really is about trying to make sure. I mean, one of the things that's awesome about this person is that she's on a muscle building protocol. And uh, you know, she's really happy about all the progress that she's made. So even in that process of, of putting on five to eight pounds in this scenario where life is just, you know, not cooperating, she's put on three to four pounds of muscle in that process. And so she really doesn't have that much fat to lose, right? Now, of course, she started off where she wanted to lose some weight eventually, right? I mean, one of the things is that that I think is is different about Eat to Perform is that you don't have to be perfect tomorrow. You can be perfect later, you know? And then, hey, what if the goal isn't perfection? What if the goal is just gradually better, right? And that's when the conversation starts to change to, wow, I've been kind of chasing this rabbit for most of my life. It actually makes me feel horrible, right? And um, I just think of this person, and every time I review her, I just want to hug her, right? I just want to make her feel loved, you know, because I know that, you know, she's dealing with difficult circumstances in life, and you go, well, you know, what's the difference between the basic program and that? Well, I mean, let's be real. You know, for Brad and I, our time is quite valuable, right? There's really no other way to say that, you know. Um, we do give a lot of time for the basic program. I think the good majority of people do the basic program have great success, and they love the interaction. But if you've ever gone to Disneyland and bought the Fast Pass, that's why these people buy that, right? And 
more often than not, you know, you'll have people that, that have difficult challenges that want to try and work them through them a little bit better. But at the end of the day, the difference between the two isn't that great. I think when you look at, um, you know, this would probably explain it more than anything. I currently have 68 private clients. And of those 68, 40 messaged me yesterday, right? We talk all the time, you know, and that is the value, right? I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Brad? Because I know, you know, for your, your people, I mean, I can tell you that I do it differently than Brad does it, you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, for a lot of a lot of the intensive coaching pieces is I would say the the thing that makes that different from a lot of the work we do with our you know general population clients is the the macro prescription, the food piece, the dieting piece with my GC clients is not any different. But it's it's all the other pieces, right? And it's the level of communication. It's the kind of problems we can solve. You know, it's it's all the pieces about the the life and who you are and, and what you're trying to tackle and all those pieces of trying to solve the bigger issues and the bigger problems is really where a lot of that gets done. I mean, I had a conversation with one of my clients last week and we spent an hour on the phone and we talked about the food piece, not at all, like not once. And it was right. just all the other pieces of you know, what are you trying to accomplish? How are we going to get you there? And are you good with who you are? And how do we get you to that spot? Yeah, of those 40 people, I'd say, you know, 12, maybe we were talking about their plan for that day. You know, more often than not, it's about, you know, just life conversations. You know what I mean? I have mm-hmm. I have one client that just moved from Australia to Portugal, you know, and I mean, I can be really on her about logging her food and things like this, but she's going through a monstrous change in her life. And what she really needs is someone to support her, to help her build the foundation that is going to allow her to move forward, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, that's really a lot of the conversations that, that we're having. So we're going to end on, on this note, but I, I, wanted, I wanted people to hear a scenario where someone didn't lose a hundred pounds, right? Where they actually gained some weight, but are walking away from the scenario much better. And Oh, by the way, you know, I mean, I know her calories off the top of my head because we talk so much, you know, she's at 2,800 calories a day, you know, and um, part of the reason why, you know, she's, been at kind of this positive balance for a while is just because all these things are happening and so she can't necessarily get to the gym but in that same time she does do muscle building protocols she is building muscle at at that point and I, I just feel like that to me is one of the each perform success stories that doesn't get told very much you know and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people can relate to that so there, there are two things that, that I wanted to address. There's two people that, that are asking a lot of questions. First of all, I think you guys would be great each performers. Just put putting that out to you. We have a two-week trial. It's only $9.95 a month after that. You can cancel it anytime. But I think you would benefit greatly. 
from uh, being an Form member. But what you're asking, Drew, is sort of interesting because I was talking to a CrossFit Games athlete, right? And we were body fat testing this person. And, uh, you know, he had it mostly figured out. I'm sorry, $9.95 a week. Um, and he has it mostly figured out. But when we spoke, what he said was that he deals with crashes similar to what you're talking about and that the good majority of the time he doesn't feel like eating and then he has these one days where he just eats like a crazy man, right? And I said, well, you know, you're not just not eating, you know, well or, or right or, you know, I don't even know if that, that's how I would say it. I said, but you're hurting your performance, you know, and at this point, he had never made the CrossFit Games. He had just, you know, been regionals. Um, and he actually competed at the regional and uh, made the CrossFit Games. And when he was done, uh, you know, I just happened to be there. And he pulled me off to the side and he said, what you said made a difference to me. And what I said to him is the same thing I'm going to say to you, is if you're feeling strong, and then you're crashing, you're under eating ultimately, right? And so what you really want to be doing is making sure that you have a positive energy balance the good majority of the time, and so that you're improving at exercise. I mean, if you're CrossFitting four to five times a week, the goal of CrossFit is to get better at exercise. It's not to lose weight. It's not all these different things, right? And so uh, keep that in mind. But that is uh, that is very common, right? That you you're hearing all these messages of paleo and zone and ketogenic diets and all these things, and none of them talk to you about the fact that you actually have to eat to work out and feel 100% like a human being. The other thing that was being um, said, and, and this will be the last thing, and we'll end on this note. Uh, I've heard you gain muscle before losing fat. Is that what you're saying? So. It's a version of what I'm saying, but I wouldn't say that that necessarily is true. In the time that your calories are going up, it is going to largely depend on how you train. But there is this fear out there that if you start eating more, that you're going to gain a lot of weight and that weight is going to be adipose tissue or fat, right? And it's just not proven over time, right? Like as you're eating more, especially if if your training allows you to adapt to that more food, then you will build muscle, right? So you'll see a lot of 16-year-old boys and, you know, people are telling them to eat more to, to gain muscle, but they're just running all the time because they have all this energy and they're just sort of trading energy output for energy input. And so when you get that same person eating a lot of food and then doing resistance training, now the magic happens. So there is an element where you're training and we do walk you through that. We do have free training templates. I mean, we should charge more, Brad. <laughs> you know, like I, I think one of the reasons why we started a free trial um, and 
I, I just don't think that the good majority of people know what they get and the value of what they get and the personal interactions that they get. And so, yeah, it's, it kind of blows my mind. I mean, I know we do this every day, but I think you and I lose a lot of perspective of how much, how many tools, how much brain power, how much care, um, and how many resources we give our members at, you know, especially at the dollar point that we provide people. And it's, you know, a, a big piece of it is, you know, and you and I talk about this a lot, but we feel very, very strongly that we have the best answer that's out there. Um, and in some ways we feel like we have the only real answer out there and we've tried to build all these tools to make it so we can reach as many people in an affordable manner, because the goal is, I mean, you know, we make this joke all the time, but the goal is to not put a Ferrari in the garage. It's to solve a lot of people's problems and to improve the lives of a lot of people. And that's one of the ways we're able to do that. Yeah. I mean, we have a really shitty business model, right? And I'm going to tell you why we have such a horrible business model. Because we make you do it, right? I mean, a really good business model is opening up a gym for 1995 and people it's start. Yeah, right? It's all those different things, you know, and, and it's Weight Watchers too, right? Like where, you know, they make you sign up for these contracts, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you do well or not do well, they still got their money right? We're the only place that we're charging you weekly, right? So every week you hit that credit card, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not really giving the effort, you know, so I'm going to quit or I'm going to give more effort because I don't want to waste my money doing this, right? And that's on purpose. We did that for a reason, you know, because if you think about, you know, the level of caring that, that we try to put out there, not only is that the best way to do it, it's the only way to do it, right? Because the pressure is on us all the time to get you results, right? Because if you don't get the results that you need, you know, whenever we see someone frustrated or something of that nature, the thing that I always say to coaches is... What do their results look like, right? And then we start peeling the onion back that way. But I, I think that when you look five years from now, you know, because it, it's not a given that we're going to be here, right? It's not a given well, that businesses make it, right? But five years from now, when, you know, Eaton Forms a lot bigger than it is right now, they're going to go – they did it the hardest possible way, right? And that's the way we want to do it because it forces us to be better. It forces your expectation of us to be massively high. And that's awesome. I love that challenge because, you know, when you look at our technology and the things that we're going to be able to do here real soon, we haven't even scratched the surface, you know? And, no, and the best part about it is, no one's trying to be us, right? Because no one's going to... Because it's hard. Yeah, it's so hard I mean, to be us. Like, this is this is probably not a podcast material, but, you know, one of the things that we, we do every day is we try to solve really difficult problems. And it's, 
you know, and Paul, you probably experienced this too, but you know, when you kind of live in people's lives, you know, lots of people every day and trying to solve some of their biggest problems, like by the end of the day, the just trying to like reflect back at the end of each day of how much of yourself you have to give out. It's, it's a very, it's a very sobering process. Right. And I know it's, it's taught a lot it's taught me a lot about like life and a lot of those things too, which has been a very interesting aspect that I didn't really expect. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would say over the course of five years, you know, my perspective has changed a lot. I mean, when we look at, you know, we were really more of an information business in the first three years. And really, you know, we're only coming up, the, the app has really only been live for about a year. And we went from basically like no one to what is ultimately like 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it frustrates us because we have high expectations and we want to see things grow and, and we want to give you guys the highest level of care possible and, and, and access to coaches and access to training and, and all these different types of things. But, you know, it, it is it is something where you have to go, okay, I need to take time so I can think about how we're marketing this. And I can think about, you know, um, what are changes that we can make to plans that we can, we can do better. I mean, you know, I don't know what it looks like yet, but I know modeling needs to happen, you know. And that, that's exciting to me because I think one of the things that if you guys are listening to this podcast and you've, you've gotten all the way to the end and it's this far, the, the thing that I lost track of thought there. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway. Is that, the cliffhanger <laughs> to yeah. be continued next time. <laughs> <laughs> to be continued, yeah. We'll end on that note. All right, guys. So I appreciate everybody being here. And uh, we obviously went a little too long since I can't even think anymore. So we'll talk to you guys later. And bye now.